Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 10th episode of this podcast. It has been an absolute journey. I first started this podcast with the hope of only hosting 10 episodes, but the feedback and response that I've received has made me want to carry on. Thank you for all of your supportive and encouraging comments. I'm glad listening in is making a difference. Today, I am in conversation with my friend Neil, who I met during my master's. Neil and I would spend hours rambling on about this very topic, and so I couldn't think of anyone better to join me on this episode. Have you ever felt like you don't fit in? That you're battling an identity crisis and trying to hide it away in your closet full of demons? Well then, you've landed yourself on the right episode. So excuse yourself from anything and everything for one hour, grab some chai and maybe some peanuts, sit back and enjoy this episode. Hi Neil! Hi Shaz, how are you? I'm good thank you, how are you? Great, great to be here. Oh good, I'm glad you you said that because we've just been delaying this haven't we? We've talked about this for absolutely ages and never really got round to it so I think I think what it was is that we went to the Lake District trip didn't we and then we just thought no we needed we needed to get this out of the way and that drive up we I think we dissected all our points about what we wanted to talk about today so yeah I'm, I'm really glad that you're finally on my podcast it's probably one of the most important topics that I'll be addressing on this podcast as you know without a doubt this is something we've all experienced in our lives um, but but why don't we start off with, with introducing how we both met so I'll let you do that part sure so my name's Neil I'm one of Shaz's friends who I met in London so we were both doing a year of university in London um, and we just happened to be in the same halls as each other um, pretty much straight away, we we all hit it off, became great friends, and pretty much spent the year exploring London together, traveling around and seeing all the places that there are to see. So we've become really good friends since then, and we're still hanging out now. Yeah, it's amazing. And also for all of you who don't know, Neil is actually now a qualified doctor. So <laughs> so I'm really really proud of him, and I just wanted to mention that on on the podcast. I'm all about bigging my friends up. So. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, so the reason why I thought of you when I wanted to do this episode is because this is something we always talked about through conversations uh, when we were going out for dessert or when we were just hanging out as friends. Me and you mainly gelled on this conversation and just figuring out you know, what our identity is and you know where we fit on the scale spectrum of coconutty and, yes. and being, being a freshie, <laughs> to put it that way. And um, So I thought the best place to start off would be childhood and schooling. So what, what kind of environment did you would you say your childhood and schooling was and how did that have an impact on who you are today so definitely when I was growing up I was sort of in a it was predominantly white where I was sort of growing up I grew up in Nottingham the school definitely did have some Asians but there was I would say a bit of a divide between the Asians and the the sort of the English people at school so I think that definitely influenced how I grew up because I felt that sort of uh, clash between the two cultures. I didn't really sure which which group I fit into, really. Yeah, yeah. And did you feel like you had to be more, I don't know, with the Asian folk? Or did you feel like you wanted to be more with, with the English folk or people from different cultures? Like, what? where did you fit on that spectrum? Did you feel like you were ever caught in between? A hundred percent. I had a lot in common with the Asian people. But um, sometimes I also liked sort of to embrace the British side of my life. And mm-hmm. I would find sometimes when I was hanging out with them that they wouldn't be, feel the same. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot of differences um, between myself and say some of the English students. And I felt that I, I had to act less fresh in a way when I was around yeah. them. So I couldn't really be my true self. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I mentioned this in my previous um, episode with Nim, but I went to predominantly British Pakistani school and it was very Asian influenced, especially very Pakistani influenced. And I think because I'd been immersed in that environment since I was about five years old to 16, it's all I ever knew. Um, yeah. and, and I kind of became accustomed to the culture and I was part of the same culture as well. And I never felt the need to change my mindset or change my ideologies or just 
kind of explore different cultures until I went to sixth form. And then when I went to sixth form, it was a massive culture shock for me because people were from all different types of cultures, but they were predominantly from a white background. And that's when my identity crisis really started to kick in because I'm so used to being around Asian people. And there's a huge difference in, in the cultures. There are many similarities, but there's a huge difference. And I found it really hard to kind of find that balance in between. And I must say that even though I was with a lot of Asian people at school, I still felt a bit out of place. So I was referred to quite often as like coconut or someone who thought of myself as it's a weird how they put it but someone who thought of themselves as better than others because mum worked for the NHS so she had a lot of English white colleagues and so we'd do certain things a bit different to what people at my school would do so we put a Christmas tree up at Christmas time and also I'd have my godmother she's English anti-Hillary so I had so many differences about me as a person that yeah. they couldn't relate to. But then also when I went to sixth form, there were so many differences that I couldn't relate to as well, if that makes sense. hundred percent. And I guess I was pretty similar. My parents work in the NHS as well. Mm. So we, like yourselves, we, we celebrated Christmas, did all the sort of traditional English holidays. But I think at the same time, I could never felt like I could be my true self around the English students either. And they yeah. sort of were the majority of students. And I felt that they, they, some of them would sort of look down on Asian sort of culture, whether it would be the food I eat or sort mm-hmm. of music I'd listen to or something like that. So did I didn't you find it was, sorry, did you, did you find it was quite discreet? Because with me, I found it was quite discreet and subtle in the way they'd look down at you, but it was very much prevalent and there it very much existed yeah so I I would find it would be simple things like uh maybe I just wouldn't get invited to that party or I wouldn't get Mm. picked for that sports team or that that trip to town like I I would just sort of get you know missed out and people would sort of select other people to join the group instead despite the fact that I was friendly to everyone so I always felt like I had to prove that I was cool enough to sort of hang out with the non-Asians if I was to hang out with them Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was definitely the the students for me that did it, but also Mm. some of the teachers. So not at my secondary school, but at my sixth form, it wasn't a very Christian influenced school, but it was because it was predominantly white and because a lot of people came from Christian backgrounds. Mm. The teachers kind of had this expectation of you to know certain things about Christianity. Mm. And I knew the basic things about, you know, Jesus and the three kings and the three shepherds that came to see him and he was born in a manger and all that kind of thing but the really really intricate part of Christmas story I had no idea about because I was taught Ari on the surface and then I just knew the bits and parts that my mum and my dad would teach me so when I was asked really intricate questions and I didn't have an idea as to what it was about they were kind of like oh so you don't how come you don't don't know about that yeah yeah and it was like oh well should I know about this and in my head I was thinking hmm do you know this much information about Eid or do you know this much information about Diwali or uh, you know something else I mean it seems like there's an entitlement here for me to know a lot about your religion or your culture but not so much about mine if that makes sense that's so true I think uh, we spent a lot of time learning about Christianity which I understand but we didn't spend sort of any time learning about Hinduism, for example, which is my religion. And mm-hmm. I mean, none of my friends at school pretty much knew what Diwali was. Um, they didn't even know really? Hindi the language. They'd always say, do you speak Indian or do you speak Hindu? So oh, no. like, there was a, there was a <laughs> lack of awareness. And then I also feel that was reflected in the fact in school for history, we were just never taught about the British Empire, despite the yeah. fact that was that's probably the biggest sort of aspect of modern British history. Um, absolutely absolutely I think this is this is it's so important that was one area that I always questioned my history teacher about is why don't we teach about the British Raj the East Indian Trading Company why don't we why aren't we taught anything about that and I think it's because it 
portrays Britain in a bad light. And as a result of that, it leaves us as British Asians really confused because we don't know much about our history. Some of us won't voluntarily go and learn about it. I mean, I do because I'm interested in it. And mum's a freedom fighter. My grandfather came from what was India at the time. So I've been surrounded by the stories growing up. But there's a lot of children who have younger parents who have no idea what the history is about. And I don't blame them. And it lands them in this element of having an identity crisis and where we are today, really. Definitely. And to be honest, I would say even myself, I wish I knew more about it. I've actually had occasions since becoming a doctor where I've been speaking to English colleagues and they've even said, oh, you know, the British Empire was actually really good for India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. And they've they've genuinely argued those points. And these are fellow doctors. Oh, wow. Which I I think is outrageous, but if I knew more about it, I could argue my points more eloquently and articulately. Yeah, yeah, I I agree about that. I think this is why I'm so dedicated to learning more about it, because like you said, rightfully, when I was working in London, I'd come across a lot of corporate older people and Mm. they would kind of make subtle comments or remarks about the British Empire and how we were better off. And I'm not quoting it correctly, but the whole Winston Churchill quote of if we left India, it'd be run by the goons. And I think that's very much that mentality that, that some people still have. And I'm there and I'm fighting my corner as politely as I can. But then, like you said, I have a a lack of knowledge because there's so much I don't know. But the more I know about it, the more I'll be able to not defend myself, but just represent myself and And be aware, educate others. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that also ties into why my parents, well, less my mum or my dad, why he's very much sometimes says, you know, these British people. And it would it always confuse me as a child because I always deemed myself as British Asian. So when my dad would make a remark like, oh, these British people, I think what it is is that he is quite hardened by what he went through when he was younger. So I'll give you a bit of an insight. When um when my dad was about 15 or 16, he'd regularly get boys in coming to his house and just urinating on his back door. And that would be like a weekly thing after they'd gone down to the pub and they'd gone on a pisser, as they'd call it. Um, And then they'd they'd come back round and because they knew that that was the one house on the whole street that was Pakistani um, or not white. They'd come and they'd deliberately urinate on his door. And then he also used to get comments by because he used to work at Sheffield Forge Masters and he used to get comments where the boss would say, oh, um, you know, he's a bit underdeveloped, so he won't be able to make it as an engineer. So I think my dad has all these comments and all these experiences stored within him. Mm. And that's why he's very guarded. And so he's always saying things to me like, remember your roots, try and be friends with your people, understand your culture. And I think it's because it's a method of him trying to protect me. But that's always left me in a very confused state of mind because I have lots of friends who are not from Asian backgrounds, who are English, white English, and they're lovely. And they are always very encouraging and wanting to know more about our culture. So it leaves me in a very confused state of mind. I don't know if you've experienced something similar. Yeah, I agree. I have. It's. I think it's difficult because the modern sort of generation, I feel like people are getting better. They're learning more about sort of our cultures. Um, there's still a way to go for sure, um, but they are getting better. Whereas I think when your dad moved, especially in those times, it must have been really difficult, particularly because he was young when he moved yeah. over, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he was, yeah. I think, I guess when my parents moved over, they were around 30. So mm-hmm. they were, it, it, it was a bit, would have been a bit different for them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they do sort of how it was more challenging sort of working their way up the ranks as as say a doctor back then as to how it was now for sure yeah absolutely and I think that's something I do take away when I do you know everything he says I take it with a pinch of salt because I think yes fair enough he has his views but the world is changing and you know minds are opening and yes there is still a subtle element of racism yeah in my opinion it's still very important that we progress and evolve and try and bring everyone together and become more inclusive but then I find that 
sometimes that's not always the case in our generation as well because I come from a dual heritage background so my mom is from Bangladesh originally and my dad even though he spent most of his life here he is from a Pathan background so you can regard that as Pakistani Afghani and at school the Pakistanis would say that oh you're not Pakistani because mm. I wasn't called Pakistani. I was only half Pakistani. And then I got a similar experience. I, I don't know if I told you about this, but me and Oman, Oman being one of our other friends, folks, um, we uh, we went to the Queen Mary Bengali Society and we still didn't fit in because me and Oman, we were from what you call Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. So when we went there, Neil, they yeah. asked us to fill in a, uh, a sheet of paper and they had two ticks and one said Dhaka and one said Sileti. Oh, wow, and that's I was, Yeah, and I was like, but hang on a minute. We're, we're from the same country. That's all that should matter. But they were segregating people, even from the same culture. And I think in Queen Mary's, they have a predominantly Saleti community of the Bangladeshi society. It was really hard for me and Oman to get along with anyone there because they would ask us, oh, are you Dhaka or Saleti? So we just got the pizza and we left. <laughs> but we felt very isolated and out of place. I, I th- that issue really resonates with me because I've noticed that a lot, to be honest. It always surprises me that in 2021 in England that yeah. other Asians can sort of discriminate against each other when we have so much in common. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think even sort of as an Indian, I guess I've seen people from one part of India being less warm and open to people from another part. So whether it's a north-south mm. divide or with diff- just different parts or different religions, I think there really there are still divisions there, which which yeah. is really so you know because you went to the University of Birmingham, didn't you? And then mm-hmm. you also went to Queen Mary's with us. So when you were not not just in university, just in general, do you see a divide when you're at a society or a function between Northern Indians and and Southern Indians? I would say yes. I would say that that at time, yeah, I see, feel like there there are different cliques which form. No, yeah. I agree there are slight difference in culture, but not not much. And um, mm-hmm. I I do think I do find people would ask me, oh yeah, what part of India are you from? And say if they were from North India, they would be more open and friendly to me once they found out I was also from North India, which yeah. which isn't really right. You should sort of treat everyone the same. And they would end up just doing separate activities, depending on whether people were from North or South. Yeah, yeah, that's really sad. And like, I don't know, because obviously India is such a big country as well. Is there, is it just a cultural divide or would you say there's a re- religious divide as well? I think the religious divide is massive. Um, I, right, even yeah. looking back to say my university um, with, mm-hmm. with the lectures, for example, I would notice that there would almost be a divide in terms of where people would sit. So you'd have wow. sort of a section of electoral where which would be predominantly Muslim. And then you'd have a section of electoral which would be predominantly English. And then a section of electoral which would be predominantly sort of Asian Hindu, for example. And yeah. um, it it was, it was strange to see that in this sort of day and age amongst sort of educated people. But for some reason, that religious barrier is still definitely there. Yeah, and it's really sad. And I'm just, I'm trying to find ways to break it. <laughs> because yeah. we're, we're all so similar. But I think you've mentioned this before. We don't, acknowledge our similarities we we acknowledge more of our differences than our similarities but yeah just going back just a little bit to school pressures and societal pressures I wanted to talk about another area that I found very difficult growing up and I think my sister handled this better than I did so clothing as a woman was one of them I don't know if men experience this as well but as an Asian woman it was quite a difficult thing for me because at home or when I was going to a family gathering I would wear what we call the salwar kameez and that was quite a common thing for some girls to wear at school. I never used to wear it at school, secondary school, but some girls would wear a black salwar kameez at school and they would wear a uniform jumper on top. Mm. And I grew up with that being the norm. And then I went to sixth form and it was you know, I would never wear a salwar kameez to sixth form anyway, purely because I am still suffering with my identity crisis. My mm. sister used to. Um, and she wore it quite proudly. But with me, I just I never wanted to because I was ashamed of my my national dress, really. And I find that really sad because when um, when I wanted to go to the prom, 
everyone was picking out these lovely gowns and as you do and they were picking out these lovely outfits whereas my mum was like why don't you wear a sari and I said well mum I don't know if that's a that's appropriate that's the word I use and she was like what do you mean and I said well because everyone's going to be wearing a gown and she said but wearing a sari is what you would wear to a gathering, a party, a function. And it's something that you would wear to a party like this. So I, I took her idea on board and I did wear one and I did get a lot of compliments. But it just amazed me looking back to think that 17 year old Shaz was ashamed to wear her national dress to a party. That just astonishes me. Like I, I look back and I think I can't believe that's what I went through. So I don't know if you had any like similar experiences when it comes to your appearances in in these settings. So first of all, I think definitely I can see that there would be more challenging for girls. Yeah. As a guy, I definitely noticed say at our uh, prom or ball, if there was sort of a girl who would come in the sari, there would be some people who would make some comments. I I I would have overheard that for sure. And what so kind of comments were these? They would sort of say, "Oh, she's a freshie or something like that." Oh that that God. kind of thing, which which is shocking, really. I mean, first of all, saris and uh, are beautiful, so yeah. I mean, I think it's just it's something that our culture should be proud of. And but, would these be, would these comments be from people from our background or people from like a different background? I think a lot of the time they would be from a different background, but what okay. would be more upsetting would be. It would they would sometimes come from people of our background, but these mm. would be people who were trying very hard to conform to Western exactly. standards. And yeah. in a way that that would upset me more when they would do it because they should know better, really. Um, mm. But they would to kind of appease the um, the English sort of students. They would make such comments or have such attitudes. And that that would be what was most upsetting for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to conformity. I definitely have experienced this when I went to go visit my cousin at Cambridge University mm. and we went to the Indian Society yeah. and I remember this conversation very very well I will never forget this conversation in my life so I went there we rocked up in a, I rocked up in a churidar you know like a long uh, yeah. Asian gown and and uh, so did my cousin we got there everyone was wearing just normal dresses and garden party dresses and I was just thinking okay we're going to stand out. <laughs> and uh, I got there and um, I, I met a couple of people at the party. And there was this one guy. And I remember, I'd forgotten his name, but I do remember his face. And I, I remember him very well. And we got to a point of the conversation where we were talking about identity. And he said, well, I'm white. And, and where, said, was he, where was he from? He was from India. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so he was, he was, as in, he was brought up in England, but... Um, but he his said that he was both his parents were from, you know, New Delhi. He's a Desi guy. But... He's a Desi guy. And I went, I looked at him and I was like, I'm sorry, what? He goes, yeah, I'm white. I'm white British English. Oh, wow. And, and, oh my and God. me and my, me and my cousin couldn't help but crack up. Like we were just, I was just laughing on the spot. I laughed in his face, which was really rude, but I no, couldn't but help I myself. And I said, you do realise, I mean, have you looked in the mirror? He was like, no, I understand what you're trying to say, but I regard myself as white, English, British. That's how I see myself. And I thought this guy really has got to get his priorities in order. Like, this is, is this just, is outrageous. That is outrageous, isn't it? I mean, no matter what he says, he won't be seen by other white people as a white British person. Like, they're not going to see him as that. So he, he needs exactly. to just be proud of who he is. Exactly. And I think that's what we have trouble some people have have trouble with doing in this day and age is being proud of who they truly are um, and I and I think it, it links into all different aspects of our culture so for example food being one of them yeah. so when I used to go to sixth form I think this was more when I was in the workspace I wouldn't bring certain foods because I'd be worried that it would smell for example if mum made let's say some curry or she made like some samosas or something and she and she made some rice I sometimes wouldn't mind having that for lunch because mm. I you know I like the sandwich I like sandwiches at lunchtime I like salads but sometimes I don't mind a bit of rice with a bit of um, a bit yeah. of curry or a bit of a samosa or something and I would really have to think about it about bringing it into the workplace 
because it was like one I might come across as being you know too fresh and I've just jumped off the boat which is nothing there's nothing wrong with that but as a British Asian you grow up with this mentality that oh I shouldn't come across this way because I look like I just got here and um, also I felt really self-conscious that people are just gonna start making comments behind my back and then they're just gonna not want to be my friend at sixth form so that was what I went through and it was very it was a very hard time for me because all I wanted to do is be myself but at the same time I didn't want I didn't want to lose friends and I felt like if I was a certain way I would lose friends or I would not fit in into certain environments if that makes sense do you do you understand what I'm trying to say I, I completely understand because I had a very yeah. similar experience I think uh, okay. whenever I was at school or sixth form and I'd be ordering food especially when I was younger I would think I really want that curry it's so much better than the like the jacket potato which they're offering as an alternative but I wouldn't go for the curry because people would sort of say oh you smell or you're freshy and I think because I went to an all-boys school the guys guys were just very blunt and they would literally just say it to your face like you smell you're freshy or whatever if that's how they felt so I I was sort of on the defense at that time and I would just wanted to try and conform fit in and avoid any of that hate so I would I wouldn't even sort of eat and enjoy the food which I love because I mean at least in my mind Asian food is the best and I don't really think much western food can compare to it but exactly (laughs) I'm with you there like when I went when I went to Bradford University all of that went out the window because everyone yeah. was Asian and they were like oh what do you want for dinner let's go get a curry or should we even at lunchtime they, they used to have speaking of jacket potatoes they had this deal where they'd have jacket potato but they'd have lamb curry and cheese curry as help. a topping and I was just thinking wow you can't get more integrated than this and everyone loved it like my friends who were not Asian they absolutely loved it as well so I'm yeah. glad that that's happening now but but I think back when we were at sixth form it wasn't as inclusive a lot of people didn't want the cultures to integrate if I'm going to put it that bluntly yeah so I think that was the thing that I went through I think more sixth form than my workplace and from there I started to feel like oh I don't fit in you know I'm not I'm not English I don't really fit in because I, I don't like doing their way of things or I don't like eating their certain foods at certain times I want to I want to do what I want to do and then I thought my mum was just saying yeah you know maybe you might have more in common with your cousins abroad and so mm. I thought okay fine you know let's let's just see I was I was at this place in my in my head where I was 18 and I was just thinking do I fit here or do I fit in Bangladesh with my cousins abroad and you know they listen to western music as well so I thought okay maybe I might gel more with them And I often go and see them every three years. So I went to Bangladesh uh, when I was 18. And what me and my cousins normally do, we do the bog standard things. We play things like the carom board and Ludo. And, you know, we have like Fusca, which other cultures will call Pani Puri or Golgate. And we we bond on things like that. But even though I went there when I was 18, and this is a time when I, I was at my peak of identity crisis. Yeah. I was, I'm very close to my cousins, but I still felt out of place. And the reason why I felt out of place, I think, is because I don't speak fluent Bangla. And also a lot of the things that I like doing in my spare time or the music that I like listening to or the movies I like watching or just the the banter that we have, the British banter, it's quite unique. I couldn't gel well with my cousins and I still felt out of place. And that's at that moment in time, I felt very lonely because I didn't I didn't feel like I fit into the British culture but I didn't feel like I fit into the Asian culture as well. So I don't know what your experience was in that department. Yeah, when I go to India, a very similar experience. I absolutely love my cousins and I'm really close to them. But I do think that the language is certainly an issue. Um, Again, I Mm -hmm. understand Hindi, but can't speak it fluently. And it's not just the language. I think it's the way of thinking and the culture. Um, I think no matter how sort of Asian we feel in our heart, we do have a British side to us as well. And I think that Mm -hmm. was... It was hard to accept, I think, at first, because I always said, you know, I'm I'm Indian, I'm Indian. But then when I went there, I mean, yeah. anyone on the street, as soon as they saw me, they know that I'm not actually from India. 
Um, I don't know how they do it, Neil. I, I think it's the way we walk or what we're wearing. Something about it. They would literally just, I'd get charged more. If I'm waiting in a queue for something, like for the Taj Mahal, I remember I was waiting in a queue. Yeah. I, I'd get charged more. I'd need my parents to step in and actually be Indian. But for some reason, despite the fact I look Indian and I think like an Indian, I, I wouldn't be sort of accepted fully as one. So that was absolutely. Upsetting. I am I am with you there. So whenever I go to Bangladesh, and this is the most recent time I went was about six years, six, seven years ago now. Yeah. And I'd go there, I'd wear no makeup, hair in a massive bun. I'd probably put oil in my hair. That's, mm-hmm. you know, just to help it grow. Because normally when you go there, you get pampered, you know, yeah. the nice maids, they put oil in your hair and it's all very nice and you're on holiday. Yeah. And I'd wear my cousin's salwar kameez and we're going to, we're going sari shopping. And mm-hmm. as we go sari shopping, my my late Kalana, bless her, she, she would look at me and she'd be like, look, before we go in, don't say a word. Don't even look at the guy. Just just yeah. sit there on your phone and just look at the sirens. I'm like, okay, okay, Carla, I'll do that. And then we go in and they they spot me. And it's as if they're scanning and it's like ding, 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 foreigner. <laughs> and then I sit down and I can already tell they're gonna they're gonna increase the price. And then you have to do that tactic, don't you? You have to walk away, pretend like you're walking away. Yeah. And then I'm they'll passing. go, and they'll go, oh, upper ashin ashin. I said, come back, come back, come back. We'll reduce yeah. the price. And it's a typical role play thing that happens every single time. Every single time, like clockwork. I I would love someone to give me an explanation for how they know. Um, because exactly. to this day, I have never worked out how they could look at me and straight up realize I could be wearing the most traditional sort of clothing as you say, not saying a, a word at all, but still straight away, they'll know. So exactly. I think it just reflects that we're not 100% that side of the spectrum either. And it, we probably won't ever be. So yeah. that's just, some, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think at the age of 25, I thought I had it sussed out. So until a couple of weeks back, and I'm going to share something that I'm not very... I'm not very happy to share, but I think it's important that I make people aware that this still happens in this day and age. So I was I was very content and I thought, yeah, I'm British and I'm Asian. You know, I, I like going for my country walks. I like going to the pub for dinner and having my fish and chips. But I also like going to Goba and I also like, you know, watching Bollywood movies, whatever yeah. makes you Asian. So I like having a bit of both. Yeah. And then um, I think it was about four or five weeks back. I normally go on my Saturday walk with my friend. So yeah. we go to the Peak District and it was 9am in the morning. And because I'm, I'm in Yorkshire, so it's normal for everyone to say hello to each other in the mornings when they see each other. Yeah. And so I was walking past this elderly couple and I said, good morning. And he looked back at me and he called me a packy. Oh, God, really? And this couple, they were in their maybe in their late 70s and their 80s. And I looked back at him and I was just stunned. And I was with my friend who, you know, she wears the hijab and she's from a Yemeni background. So she wasn't as shocked because sadly, even though this shouldn't be the case, she has experienced her fair share of racism and this was like Mm. a a norm for her but for me I don't if you look at me I don't represent from any religion I just look Asian so when he when he called me a paki I felt this rage in me I'm feeling it right now just listening yeah yeah this rage in me and at, at the same time I thought I am brought up in this country this is my country I I'm not I can't I can't be any more English like and I, I looked at him and I was like you don't un- you don't know any part of your history do you yeah and then he was like you're packy you're invading our country and I just said to him I'm like I'm sorry but you invaded our country yeah and then and then my friend she realized that I was getting very angry and she goes look I think we should we should leave now and I walked off and then his wife came up to me and his wife was like come here come here and I said uh, don't get any closer because she was really in my face and then she said um and I said stop right there otherwise I will call the police and she said no 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 come here because I'm gonna thump you what and I thought what so I get like racially verbally abused and then now she's going to hit me and I said do you know what your husband said she, he called me a packy and her response was even more shocking her response was oh. well you are aren't you it was as outrageous. That, it was horrible. 
I mean, I'm speechless. That is, it to think that can still happen is just is just crazy. And I think a lot of people, especially people who say who are English, they might not realize that that still happens. Um, so they yeah. think that everyone's it's all sorted, but it really isn't. And I think if I was in that situation, I would struggle to know how to react because I just get so angry. Yeah, definitely do. You know, I don't I don't swear very often, but I wanted to kind of go guns all guns blazing and I thought and at the back of my head I was like no they're older than me Mm. and I don't want to stoop down to their level and I just decided to walk away but then it brought back all those memories that my dad would tell me you know of my dad telling me about his experiences in the 1960s and how he it was like a common thing for them to be racially abusive but in my head I'm thinking I've been brought up in this country and many years have passed now to Mm. think that this still happens. It made me feel very isolated in that one moment. And it stuck with me to a point now where I don't think I'll ever forget that ever happened. And it has such a big impact on us. And that leaves us confused because we think we're there going about our lives thinking, yeah, this is our country where, you know, we don't think anything of it. And then somebody will come point blank out and say, you're in our country because of the color of our skin. And I think it's absolutely outrageous. It's crazy. I mean, the little do they know that, you know, you've spent your whole life in this country. You've worked in this country. You're providing service for people. But even regardless of what you do, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't say that to anyone whether they've been here for one day or for their whole life and I think we don't we shouldn't we don't need to just sit there and take that anymore like I think a few generations ago when sort of Asians were such a minority they had no choice but to just sort of sometimes accept this but we have a voice where there's there's millions of us here now we're confident in ourselves and we just cannot yeah accept that as you say absolutely and I, I don't know I sometimes feel like this is triggered by political uh, political stunts or political movements. So, for example, recently we have the whole Afghan resettlement uh, crisis going on. And I, I'm not going to I would like to think that these are just uneducated people. When they see this on the news, they think, oh, these people are coming into our country and they're taking over, blah, 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 blah. And then that mentality that they've been carrying with them for so many years before is then triggered again. And then when they see someone like myself on the streets, they feel the need to just attack and feel they have a right to just say their piece. But I think that that needs to change and there needs to be some some form of education there, um, some educating people that what is not right and what is right and what is acceptable to say and what isn't. Like, why can't we just have a conversation about it? Why do they have to come out with such bad language and and it's damaging you know it's damaging it sticks with you I'm sure my dad hasn't forgotten about his experiences I certainly won't forget about mine so so yeah I think I'm sure a big a majority of Asians in this country have experienced a comment like that at some point I I know I have and it you're right it just sticks with you I'm not sure I'll ever forget it um and I think when, a lot what of the happened time, with you so I remember it was actually the day before my medical school exam final exam where I was just walking back from medical school. And there was a guy in a motorbike who just kept calling me a packy. And at first I was just ignoring it, walking along, but he just kept following me. So I just ran, I just ran off in the end. Cool. But I remember it was just, it was really shocking and it kind of threw me off a bit before my exams. And it, it made me think that actually a lot of these people, they probably have these thoughts in their head. And when political sort of stunts happen, they can just let it out. But actually they yeah. have those thoughts deep down. Exactly, exactly. And uh, my mum, she works a rehabilitation unit for geriatric patients. Mm. And a lot of them are suffering from dementia. Now, because they're suffering from dementia, a lot of what they feel inside that they've suppressed is no longer inhibited. So it comes out you know there there was one patient that my mum had the other day and she's she's gotten this a lot throughout her 30 years of experience as a physio was yeah. saying that you know I'd like to see a proper physio please oh. and then um, the therapy assistant said well Nazma Nazma being my mum is a proper physio she's a senior physio uh, she's the best physio in the in this department course, and yeah. and then uh the elderly patient was no I want to see a proper physio you know what I mean one of us and my so mom for her to hear. it was so upsetting and even though my mom is very teflon coated and she's yeah. had her fair shares of experience it still hurts so yeah. she went to the toilets and she had a bit of a weep and mm. she came back out and um 
the the elderly patient's daughter-in-law came and she was like can I speak to the physio um, on service and then my mum came out and she was like look I I have a feeling that my my mother-in-law might have said something to you that was not acceptable um, and I'd like to apologize so it's like the the fact that they're they're aware that they're um, their parents or their grandparents are racist and some people some young people are influenced by their parents or grandparents' views and they don't interact with people from our culture but then some people think hang on a minute this is wrong you shouldn't be prejudiced or racist towards anybody and they they move they move out of that little box that they've been brought up in um so it was it was it's been a terrible experience for my mum and my dad and I think now for me to experience this in day and age I, I just I never thought it would happen. <laughs> yeah, and it must be upsetting for say your parents to know that it's still happening all these years down the line. I think that, in, for example, in healthcare, like where your mum's working, we definitely do experience it a lot as well. Um, because a lot of the time, the people we're working with, they're sort of at a low point in their lives as well. They're frustrated, and then things yeah. boil over, and it just make and it makes it hard because we have to sort of keep a professional outlook, and we can't lose our temper or anything like that but sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to yeah hard no, to do I can imagine that. because you're the one that's treating them and but you don't feel like treating them if they're going to treat you in a certain way if mm. that makes sense yeah with, with me I found that um in cities like Birmingham and London and Bradford even I feel I'm not going to say safer but I feel more comfortable sometimes because there's a higher ethnic diversity. So I feel like I'm I'm more at home in those cities. So like I think I, I don't know if I'm generalizing here, but sometimes I think when I'm in a in a new place and they, I don't see any people from ethnic backgrounds, I feel a little bit out of place. And I think that's because of my previous experiences that's made me come up with those reservations in my head when really they could all be really nice and just be welcoming mm. but in my head I'm thinking oh why do I belong here um it's probably I don't know from Betty's tea room in Ilkley I'm just thinking <laughs> oh should I should I be sat in here is this is this a place for me in my head for some reason I sometimes think am I allowed to be in here and I, I, you know, those those mindsets, they stick in your head. And I'm trying to break through those barriers and get rid of them. But a lot of them are still there. I, I think exactly the same with me. I, In fact, that's probably influenced some of my life decisions. Because, for example, when I applied to medical school, I chose Birmingham as my first choice because it was the highly sort of ethnic um, city. And then when I went to go to London, again, I was thinking, you know, this is a lot of ethnic diversity here. And I would almost go as far as, as to say, I do feel safer in these cities. I definitely feel more comfortable. Um, yeah. I think our negative experiences have shaped that. But I think even if I was in a place, a city which had the sort of uh, the loveliest people around, if there were no people who looked like me or who were similar to me, I would feel a little bit out of place. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think one of the major life-changing moments for me that helped me through my identity crisis we've covered it a bit before but it's it's definitely been university for me Neil because I think it's it's made me find my place so when I went first went to university I didn't really fit in with the Pakistani society I didn't really fit in with the Bangladeshi society but for some reason I fit in with the Indian society (laughs) Uh, and a lot of my friends would say this like it's really you're you're an odd one Chaz I'm like I am an odd one because I think my parents are from different backgrounds but also because I have a love of Bollywood I think that helped me merge into the Indian society Um, and it helped my struggle in terms of like the two competing backgrounds so when we when we made a Bollywood dance society at Bradford University it brought all these different cultures together so people from Nepal, Mauritius, you know Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, everywhere Sri Lanka they all came together and that's what I loved about university, that everyone was from different backgrounds, but instead of separating each other, everyone was coming together and be, you know, wanting to know more about each other's cultures, trying out different foods. And we would have lots of functions where we'd, we'd have these Bollywood get togethers. And my friend Babs would bring Nepalese food. My friend Rez would bring like Bengali food and everyone would chip in and want to know more about each other's cultures and that's when I felt like this is where I belong I am genuinely British Asian because everyone here is and and I don't feel isolated I feel like I finally have a place where I belong if that makes sense definitely I 
for me, um, I think both of us, we went to sort of cities which have a lot of ethnic diversity in them for university, and that's yeah. helped shape our lives. I think um, not so many people who I hung out with, they would be Asian, but ne not necessarily Indian, but I'd love to find out more about their culture, and I would, and we'd all sort of share our different experiences. And actually, one of the nicest things of university is that the say the English or the non-Asian people who I spent time with they became integrated into Indian culture so exactly like yeah. they're, they're actually I said people might call them the reverse of whatever a coconut is like they they're <laughs> they might be white on the outside but they're embracing sort of Asian culture whether yeah. it's the food I mean one of my best friends is English and every time he says hi to me he says namaste miradost he's you know oh, that's so he's, silly. He's, he's you know practicing his Hindi and it's just nice to see that there are people out there who who really sort of do love our culture as well no absolutely I think when I was at university my friends Alec and Helena uh, we we would study at night together and we'd like call it our Kembud curry nights and oh, Kembud nice. curry nights was when we would open the fridge and yeah. Auntie Nazma would have cooked something very nice no. and they would just help themselves they'd be like right okay where's the spinach curry or where's the lamb <laughs> curry like they just help themselves plunk it in the microwave and they definitely loved the culture and then when we had a Diwali party at uh, university Helena was like I want to wear a sari can you dress me up uh -huh. in a sari and I had no idea how to wear one so we got my roommate Akonja to help us yeah. and Al Alec was asking me like recently uh, for some yeah. reason we were having conversations about this and he was like Shaz you know when you get married am I going to get to wear one of those Punjabi outfits I'm like yeah of course you are we'll buy you one he's like yeah I really want to get involved and I love I love that they want to get involved and learn about our culture as well as, well as we learn about theirs Definitely. And I think it, all of this makes us realize that our, we have a culture which is to be proud of, you know, um, and I think they exactly. love it's our so weddings, colorful. our food. Yeah. It's, there's so much sort of emotion in it. It's so passionate. I think that's, it, I do feel more proud now of my culture now that I've been through university. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of my friends, they've said, who are not from Asian backgrounds, they said, we love how everyone is so involved, like how the family are involved in everything. And I was just thinking in my head, like, if this is an Asian person, they would use the word interfering. But, <laughs> but they, they see it as, as getting involved. And yeah. you know, the, the mother-in-law loves the daughter-in-law to bits. And she gives her lots of lots of different presents and, you know, praises her and gives us lots, lots of love and affection. And they see yeah. all of that as an outsider. And they they love it and it makes me when they pass comments like that it makes me appreciate my culture even more and be proud of who I am definitely and it makes us realize that we don't need to change everything about ourselves for sort of non-Asians when if anything they also they want to pick up parts of our culture now so exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely like, even even little things like I'm gonna go like, down a retail route now even yeah. things like threading your eyebrows is yeah. now a fashion and it's a common thing to do in the, in this country Very and true. you know using turmeric and uh, for yeah. like facial masks and stuff this is all traditionally from India and it's being integrated into our our fashion our healthcare beauty care and I love it I love it because you know the stuff we've been using for years they're now using and they even ask us like oh Shaz should we use this should we use this I was at work the other day and the girls were like oh Shaz how do you keep your hair like this and what what oil did you recommend and can you buy some for me because we don't have stores like that near me and they're a lot more inclusive and I love it I love Same. it but one thing I always wonder is, is it like this in other cities, which are say not so diverse? Because I, I've lived in Birmingham and I've been lived in London. So I've not really experienced what it's like, I don't know, say somewhere up north where there may be less Asians. Do you think that it's, it's still the case or do you think it's different there? I think it still is the case. I think in London, Birmingham and places like Bradford, yeah. uh, the integration was almost forced because of the population of how many there are yeah. of us. But <laughs> <laughs> but in places like Sheffield, Leeds, York, I've, I'm quite familiar with these places because I'm from Sheffield. I live yeah. in Sheffield and I would say they're a bit ignorant to certain things, but yeah. it's not like they're not willing to learn. They want to learn. They want to get involved, That's but good. they just don't have as much knowledge because they've not been around Asian people as much as, let's say, someone in London has because the opportunity hasn't presented itself. Yeah. And so I think to answer your question, yes, it is the same. It's just moving at a slower pace because yeah. there aren't as many as many Asian environments here as there are in those other cities yeah yeah no, I was gonna say that I find it encouraging that at least 
it still is moving in the right direction, which which is the main thing, really. Yeah, definitely. And I think things like music and film are definitely helping with that. So mm-hmm. growing up, what aided uh, or helped me through my identity crisis was watching movies like Bend It Like Beckett yeah. and East Disease, because it made me think as a child, oh, so it's not just me that goes through this. Yeah. Oh, right. OK, it's not just me that goes through that either. Oh, so if they're making a movie about this, there must be a lot of people out there that, that are going through the same thing. And I was like thanking Gurinder Chada like throughout my whole <laughs> life. <laughs> she was helping me realise that we are really all in the same boat. And these movies, I think, brought us all together. A hundred percent. I think for us, like movies and music is something which really ties together. And it made me, I always used to think that, I've got like a unique identity crisis and no one else can really relate to it because even my parents who I'm the closest to, they, they technically can't relate to it either because they're just, they're from India. Yeah. They've not been sort of born and brought up here. And I think it's partly why people like I get on so well with yourself because we can all relate to this. And I think it's important for us to realize that we're not the only ones and there are loads of other people out there with the same yeah. identity crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it, it brings us all together when, when music and film does come yeah, out and it's like, yeah. we will, we'll go watch it together. Or we'll go to the cinema Hollywood together movies, to watch yeah. it. And then we'll like, we'll talk about, I know it's not a good thing, but like some of the things that happen in the movie, like, I don't know whether like in East is East, a poor Sajid getting beaten up by his dad all the time. Yeah, It's yeah. something we can relate to. It's <laughs> like, oh, you, and you'll ask your friends, like, did you get a belt or did you get a chappal? You know, <laughs> <laughs> or did you get the hand or was it just the glare because sometimes Asian parents have this glare so scary to this day day, it's like okay well um you need to understand what the glare is and I'm never explaining it and um, and some of my non-Asian friends are like oh my god like this this is really what happens and I love how we can all relate uh, together with our struggles but also with our like successes as well Definitely. And I love like that we the BBC, we have our own channel. We have the BBC yeah. Asian Network. And I listen to Harp's Core on there. And I like the, the what's it called, the debates that she has yes. with people. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting to hear people's ideologies. And it's also a good way of having an insight into whether people are opening their mindsets or whether mm. some people are still set in their ways. So it's a good way of looking at the scale spectrum as well as to where we are and how far we've progressed. Definitely. I think that um, everyone, all of us British agents is on this spectrum, this scale spectrum, whether of being sort of either fully white, like your friend in Cambridge, or yeah. very, very traditional. And I think a challenge I've had is finding sort of people on a similar, I don't need person people on the same end of the spectrum, but like to have yeah. a similar mindset to me. I think that there is definitely, there's definitely differences in how British Asians are. Yeah, definitely. And I I 100% agree. And I think I found this struggle more in the dating arena of my life rather than anywhere else, because fair enough, you can have friends who may not be on no one's ever going to be on the exact same no. spectrum as you but you can f- on you can find friends who are on the similar spectrum and that's okay and it works but then as a friend it works but then if you are dating someone you're hopefully trying to find a life together and like you kind of want your values to align and you want to have similar a similar mindset or a similar level of open-mindedness and Mm. I can relate to you in that sense where for me personally not just being British Asian but being Muslim uh, we have this thing called a halal haram ratio Uh, I I, I was on your episode last time (laughs) and so it's it's definitely a struggle in that arena for me figuring out what someone's mindset would be when it comes to a certain aspects it's definitely difficult to find that um but I don't know how it is for you because obviously you're from a, a Hindu background, do you feel like finding someone who's on the same British Asianness as you, but also finding someone on the same religiousness as you is an is an issue? Massively, yeah. I think this has been one of the biggest sort of challenges in my life. I think um, without sort of delving too much into it, I've had an experience where, for example, I was dating a um, girl who's Indian, Hindu, a doctor. So you would think like, how much more similar do you want all the boxes mate takes all the boxes you know um but then when it came to sort of their parents sort of opinion they just would flat out flat out refused because I was from a different part of India I'm from North India she's also from North India but she's a Gujarati and I'm not so 
that that sort of thing wow. it's very surprising that it still happens in 2021 and it made me realize that you know i need to hopefully find someone who's on the similar end of the spectrum um, yeah I, that's I like found... that's like saying that's like saying oh you're from you're from mile end yeah you're from mile end too but we're from different ends of mile end like that just does not make sense to me oh <laughs> yeah I mean what do you want them to date your neighbor or something like there's not really <laughs> <laughs> but but I think one thing I learned from that is I need to learn to be myself because I often found in the relationship that I would try to be more Indian and traditional than I actually am just to show how Indian I am but I think yeah. when you're with the right person, you would just act naturally and it would work. Um, so I yeah, think I completely agree. It showed that I need to be myself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's the struggle that we're all going through. Everyone's on different on their different journeys. And I think some people are more accepting of who they are. Some people are still struggling with it and coming to terms with it. But at the end of the day, it's really important that us from different backgrounds who are Asian living in Britain do feel comfortable with who they are I'd like to think that how, how do I put this so obviously you've got music and film but also integration I can see is physically happening when you have societal events like the Diwali festival in Trafalgar mm -hmm. Square and you've yeah. got Goba events and you've got Eid festivals in Brick Lane or just you know there's a lot of community cohesion and I'd, I'd like to think that those events and those scenarios are helping us as individuals become more comfortable in our own skin and yeah. maybe might even give us an opportunity to meet someone in those environments who can understand us on, on the same level. And they don't necessarily, this is something I want to point out as well, they don't necessarily have to be Asian like us, but someone mm -hmm. who can actually understand our values and have an appreciation for it is, is something that would be would be great as well. Absolutely. I think it's it's all about open-mindedness. I mean, from my yeah. point of view, I don't need to be with someone who is Asian. I just need to be with someone who's open-minded and sort of, accepts and enjoys sort of my values um and I think exactly. that the next step for everyone is to break through these barriers and uh, whether it's religion or where you're from I mean I think in dating there's still definitely a barrier which people have between dating between religions for example yeah. and I think that's something which I'd like to see sort of eventually go away really yeah like interfaith marriage I think is something that's still a taboo yeah. And I'd like I'd like to bring it more to the surface, maybe in another episode, who knows? Mm. Um, <laughs> I like it to bring I like to bring it more to the surface because it is something that we as British Asians do struggle with, because yeah. like you said, um, sometimes there are differences and the families aren't approving. But it could be that someone is from you're both Indian or you're both Bangladeshi or you're, you're both from, you know, what was originally India. So British India, Pakistan, so India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. But then one person's Hindu or one person's Muslim one person's Sikh or one person's Christian and it's like there's that huge divide there even though a lot of your core moral grounds and cultures are very similar it's like oh we can't be together because of this and that that person might not even be religious themselves but because their background is the way they are and probably their families are they have to in a way sacrifice their happiness I'll go as far as say that so it. Yeah. it's sad yeah it's sad but, and I've seen I'm sure we've all seen many haven't we? yeah uh, I've, I've I've seen many scenarios of that happening at university where people are really happy they're really content they've been together about four or five years and then things start to get a bit serious on the side where parents get involved and then reality kicks in and it's as if like everything's working fine but because there's all these other bumps in the road it overtakes their life and mm. I think it, they, they lose perspective as to the fact that it would work but then it's not going to work because of all these difficulties that they're going to have to surpass society family principles other people's principles not their own and it, it really yeah. it grates me up the wrong way sometimes. I agree. Um, yeah. yeah. So I was just going to say, this is why I think that we should focus more on what we have in common rather than what's sort of different. Because say if you have two people who are say from India or Pakistan, one's a Hindu, one's a Muslim, you still have so much in common. Um, and yeah. actually life can be more interesting sometimes with a mix of things rather than marrying someone who's just like you. So I think yeah. you should people should focus on what they actually have in common rather than just, oh, they they approach their religion slightly differently or something 
Exactly, exactly. And I think at Queen Mary's, I think you joined us once with Nidhi. We yeah. went to this uh, Krishna Consciousness yeah. Society, and I love that society. Mm-hmm. And I think they have one in Sheffield as well. And they debate on topics about God. They, they bring a lot of science into it as well. And I'm yeah. from a Muslim background. You guys are from Hindu backgrounds. Yeah. And we all just, it was such a lovely environment. Everyone just really integrated. Was. And we we found a common ground. And we were all sharing our similarities and differences. And yeah. I loved it. And I wish there was more of that. And that that could be implemented into all areas of life you know in marriage and in just lifestyle in general and and yeah I'd like to see more of that and I do think that is happening in this day and age but yeah we've I guess we've got more to see and uh, you know progression is key that's all I'm gonna say (laughs) yeah very true (laughs) yeah but yeah so thank you so much for being on this episode of Menial I feel like we've covered a lot of different bases in the space of I think it's an hour so I'm really glad you've come on I wouldn't have had this a better conversation with anyone else apart from yourself because it's just been so natural and and yeah (laughs) thank you so much Shaz it's I've loved being on the podcast with you um keep up the great work and hope you see you soon (sighs) i loved that chat so much i hope you feel like a load has been taken off your shoulders and that you are not alone it is hard having dual or triple heritage but the key is to embrace your differences instead of resenting them It's very normal to feel alone in your identity crisis journey, but understand this, we are all in it together, for better or for worse. Thanks for tuning in.